The story that I have for you today is called Lizard's Song. There was once a lizard who lived a very happy life on a sunny rock. It was wonderful on the rock, and Lizard would sing a little song about how happy they were. Zoli, 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 rock is my home. Zoli, 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 rock is my home. Lizard was just always singing and lying in the sun. And then one day, Bear walked by, and Bear heard Lizard. Zoli, 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 rock is my home. Zoli, 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 rock is my home. And Bear wondered why Lizard was so happy. So Bear asked, and Lizard said, oh, well, I have this wonderful rock, I have this wonderful sun, I have my song and my heart, of course I'm so happy. Oh, said Bear. And when Bear got home, they looked around and thought, I'd like to be as happy as Lizard. Maybe I could have a song to sing. Maybe Lizard could teach me their song. So the next day, Bear went back and asked Lizard to teach the song. And Lizard said, sure, absolutely. Zoli, 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 rock is my home. Zoli, 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 rock is my home. And Bear was very happy to hear the song and went home and then realized they had forgotten the song already. They couldn't remember it at all. So the next day, they had to go back to Lizard again and say, I forgot the song. Could you teach it to me again? And Lizard agreed. Maybe you can all help me teach Bear one more time. Zoli, 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 rock is my home. Zoli, 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 rock is my home. Surely Bear can remember it now. Well, Bear went home and again had forgotten the song, just could not remember how to sing it. So Bear went back to Lizard again, but this time when Bear arrived, Lizard was sleeping on the rock and wouldn't wake up. So Bear, not sure what else to do, picked up Lizard and put them in a bag to carry them home, thinking, well, Lizard can teach me the song back at, at my home. And Lizard woke up inside this bag and didn't know where they were. And it was very frightening. And so to try to reassure himself, Lizard started to sing their song, but now it was kind of a frightened song. Zoli, 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 rock is my home. Zoli, 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 rock is my home. And then they arrived at Bear's home and, and Bear opened the bag and Lizard came out. Where are we? Oh, we're at my home, said Bear. Oh no, did I scare you? I'm sorry. I just wanted to bring you home to teach me the song again. And Lizard looked around and realized something important. Bear didn't live on a rock. 
course this song didn't work for Bear. So Lizard told Bear, I'm sorry, my song will not work for you. And Bear was very sad. But then Lizard offered, I, I could make you a song just for you. And then you would have your song. Bear liked that idea. So Lizard sang, Zoli, 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 Din is my home. Zoli, 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 Din is my home. And now Bear had a song that kept them happy as well. Our first reading for today is titled Living with Integrity by Bob Barrett. I believe in integrity. It's a belief that's tested in those gut-wrenching moments when conflicting values pull me in opposite directions. Back in the early 1980s, I was in a training session for mental health workers who were volunteering to provide counseling to cancer patients who had a terminal diagnosis. Each of us was given 16 index cards and asked to write on each of them the names of people, abilities, things, and values that we hold dear. And in the course of our imagined cancer, we had to surrender cards or somewhat abruptly have them taken from us. And at the end, I had two cards. One read integrity, and the other read my family. How could I choose between these two? Such a choice was unfair and impossible. My initial thought was that I would give up my integrity because I loved my daughters and would want their comfort at my death. But then, I would realize that dying without integrity might be worse. I drifted back and forth, not wanting to choose. And in the end, I uneasily kept the integrity card because I reasoned that if I lost my family, integrity would still be possible. If I lost my integrity, my life would be without value. Our second reading is Inexplicable by Karen G. Johnson. Inexplicable, how we rise each morning instead of burying our heads under bed covers, sewing them shut. Why we keep on welcoming babies with bone deep joy to this sordid world. How we fill burlap sacks with grit and gratitude, our hands shredded as we drag one over the other. How we refuse the daily pull towards greedy dark, keeping at least one toe, some of us a whole torso, in the light. Inexplicable. It's what makes a poem worth writing, worth reading, worth flooding the world with redundant flaws, attempts at explanation. It's just the way it is. 
There is no other way. Stumbling every time. Practice or no. Just part of the bargain. The unvoidable. The intractable. The inexplicable. Bargain. So ends our readings. So today is the 12th day of Christmas, memorialized in that song that would have our true love giving to us today, the 12 drummers drumming along with all of the other gifts of the Christmas season. And now that I've planted that song in our heads, some of us are going to get stuck here trying to remember the whole list of all 12. So how about if we just sing that together right now, go through the list, and let's just get that out of the way. So feel free to join me when you're ready. Are you ready? On the twelfth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me twelve drummers drumming, eleven pipers piping, ten lords a-leaping, nine ladies dancing, eight maids a-milking, seven swans a-swimming, six geese a-laying, five gold rings, four calling birds, three French hens, two Big finish, a partridge in a pear tree. Fabulous and harmony even, look at you, wonderful. So now that we have that out of the way, that uh, song which some even find quite annoying, <laughs> this song tells us something about the significance of these 12 days. In the Christian story and tradition, these 12 days mark the span between the birth of Jesus and the coming of the Magi, the wise ones who traveled to find the cause of the new star that they saw in the East. Tomorrow is Epiphany, the day that the Magi visit Jesus in the stable, so the story goes. And this begins the season celebrated by Christians as Epiphany Tide which lasts until Ash Wednesday at the end of February this year. In secular terms, during these 12 days, we say goodbye to the old year and begin a new one. This may be a time for reflection on what has passed and looking forward to what is in the future. Some of us even set New Year's resolutions. Now, it is said that when the Magi saw Jesus in the manger, they fell down and worshipped him, opening their treasures and presenting gifts, not of ladies dancing and turtle doves and swans a-swimming, but of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In that moment, the divinity of Jesus was revealed to the wise ones, though the rest of the world was unaware, at least for a time. And in secular terms, an epiphany is an aha moment, when we experience a life-changing event or a shift in our perspective 
such that things are never the same. In our Unitarian Universalist tradition, we might interpret tomorrow, the feast day of Epiphany, as the moment when the wise ones saw the spark of divinity in the baby Jesus, the spark of divinity that William Ellery Channing preached is in each one of us. This is the foundation of our first principle, where we affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of each person. When we act in accord with our first principle, we seek to be aware of the spark of divinity in everyone, and our perspective changes. When we act in accord with our first principle, we know each other in our wholeness. For the past several months, we have been exploring a new spiritual theme each month in worship, in our covenant groups, and in other gatherings that we have. This fall, we dove into the theme of expectation, belonging, attention, and awe. And as we begin the new year, our spiritual theme for January is integrity. So there are two different and related definitions for integrity. The New Oxford American Dictionary defines integrity as a quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, a kind of moral uprightness. We may say that someone is a person of integrity, meaning that they are moral and honest. I'll talk a bit more about this definition later in the month. The other definition of integrity is consistency and wholeness. Leadership consultant Su Yang Kang says this, integrity stems from the Latin word integer, which means whole and complete. So integrity requires an inner sense of wholeness and consistency of character. When you are in integrity, people should be able to visibly see it through your actions, words, decisions, methods, and outcomes. When you are whole and consistent, there is only one you. You bring the same you wherever you are, regardless of the circumstance. You don't leave any part of yourself behind. Integrity means that our values are reflected in who we are and how we are in the world. We are whole and consistent, and we are experienced that way by ourselves and by others. Sometimes it's easy to have our actions match our values. It's easy for us to walk our talk. Other times it is much harder, and we have to weigh and choose. In the first reading today, psychologist Bob Barrett tells of his experience that he had conflicting values pulling in him in an exercise intended to increase empathy for those facing a terminal diagnosis, recognizing that those at the end of life face many losses. 
After listing the 16 people, things, and values that Barrett held most dear, he was asked to give them up one by one, choosing the order in which he would do so. And at the end of the exercise, he had two cards left that said family and integrity. And he didn't want to choose. Who would? And in the end, Barrett chooses integrity because he decided that life for him would not have value without it. This reading is part of a piece presented by Barrett in a This I Believe segment on National Public Radio. And later on in the piece, he tells of his work in the 1980s with gay men facing AIDS and his dawning awareness that he was living a lie. Over time, he became aware that he also was gay. And he was afraid that if he came out, if he claimed his identity and integrity, he would lose his family, his friends, and his profession. He was afraid that they would feel betrayed and ashamed. He had to choose between family and integrity. And so, at the age of 48, Barrett came out to his family and friends. And when this story aired in 2012, Barrett was in his 60s, living as an out gay man and in relationship with his family in a way that works for them all. As he puts it, Today we found a way to live in our love, each of us true to our own integrity. Barrett's is a story of listening to the still, small voice within us that tells us who we truly are. His is a story of making hard choices, weighing values to see how we can best be true to ourselves. It's a story of going ahead even when we want to bury our heads in the bed covers and sew them shut. His is a story of seeking wholeness for himself and for his family. And as I listened to Bob Barrett speak his truth, I was so touched by his story and his transformation, not only because it is powerful, but because it mirrors a story in my own family. You see, my dad is a contemporary of Barrett's and also a man who came out as gay in his late 40s. I called my dad to share this story with him and ask his permission to share his story and ours. And it was one of many deeply moving conversations we've had over the years about this particular topic. So my dad and I are connected in a unique way. I was born on his 20th birthday. And so we not only share a birthday, we share the zero birthdays. (laughs) I am his only daughter, and I am more like him than I realize sometimes, although my husband is quick to remind me. My dad is the second of four sons born into an Italian working-class family in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. Just take that in for a minute. He was the first in his family to go to college, 
and he worked as a high school teacher and school administrator for most of his career. To come out as gay in the 1980s, my dad also risked many relationships and his career. Although my parents were already divorced by then and my brothers and I were young adults, dad wasn't sure how we would react. My brothers and I found a way to remain in good relationship with dad then and over the years. And for the rest of his family, dad simply didn't talk about his private life. It was kind of a don't ask, don't tell situation. So when his parents, my grandparents, both died, it seemed to me that one part of my dad's mask could come off. And as a teacher working in Florida, my dad risked his livelihood if he came out. So remember, the mid-1980s was the height of the AIDS epidemic when we didn't know much yet about this disease and fear ran high. Anita Bryant was rallying against gay rights, running a campaign called Save Our Children. And gay men were seen as dangerous for medical and social reasons and especially dangerous to children. My dad was a teacher. Dad was convinced then and now that he would be fired if he hadn't kept this part of himself hidden. And as much as I wish it weren't so, I can't argue with him. So when he retired, yet another part of his mask could come off. Dad was in a 22-year relationship with Jim, longer than my parents were married. And when Jim died of cancer too young, just a few years ago, my entire family grieved with dad and his community. My mom, my brothers, and their children. And another part of my dad's mask could come off. So my dad and I have talked a lot about how the world has changed just in his lifetime. My brothers raised their children, my nieces and nephews, to simply know Grandpa and Jim. That's just the way it was. Nothing weird or unusual about that. And that gives me hope for the future. I have had just a small glimpse of the cost to my dad's body, mind, and spirit of wearing a mask all those years when the inside didn't and couldn't match the outside. The cost of not being fully seen and known by family and siblings. The fear of losing loved ones and his life's profession. His longing to be made whole. He tried so hard to sing the song that others gave him. The songs that weren't his. And I am aware of the irony that if he hadn't tried really hard to be straight and to be someone that he wasn't, my brothers and I wouldn't exist. My dad is a good man and a good father. I would say even that he is a man of integrity with strong values and honesty. I am sad that he was asked by his family 
and his culture and his society to be something other than who he was, that he had to choose between relationships and wholeness, between livelihood and consistency, between survival and integrity. Secrets have a cost not only to the integrity of individuals, but the integrity of relationships and the integrity of community. And I am so glad that in his retirement, he now lives as a gay man in a community that helped him find his own song. Mask lowered, fully himself, in integrity, whole. Not all stories like this have a happy ending, not then and not now. There are many in the LGBTQ community in the US and around the world who are not and were not able to be fully themselves. They have to hide parts of themselves in order to survive, let alone thrive. Violence against those who identify as queer, especially those who identify as trans, is everywhere, and the rates are rising. There are so many ways, implicit, implied, and explicit, that we are asked to be something other than who we are. It is worth rejoicing when we find a community that can see our divinity and help us see it in ourselves. Eric Erickson's model of development suggests a stage at the end of our life that is called integrity versus despair. This model was revolutionary in suggesting that we continue to develop throughout our entire lives, not just in childhood and youth. And at each stage, Erickson sets up a polarity, such as trust versus mistrust, autonomy versus shame, initiative versus guilt, integrity versus despair. Erickson says that at the end of our lives, we reflect on who we were and how we were in the world. And if we feel guilt and remorse, we may feel despair and hopelessness. If we have a sense of accomplishment, we may feel closure and completeness, integrity. Now the reality, of course, is that we experience both, integrity and despair, remorse and accomplishment, not just at the end of our lives, but throughout our lives. We balance both and all, and in the process, with luck, we develop our own wisdom. With luck, like the Magi, the wise ones, we develop the wisdom to see the divinity, the wholeness, in ourselves and in all beings. Not perfection, just the wholeness of life. That's the bargain of living. I'll close with these words from Reverend David Blanchard. Our songs sing back to us something of our essence, something of our truth, something of our uniqueness, 
when our songs are sung back to us, it's not about approval. It's about recognizing our being and our place of belonging in the human family. May we find the courage to seek and speak our truth. May we offer to each other the peace of knowing that no part of us has to hide. And may we be a community that sings back songs of love so that our spirits may be made whole. May this be so. Blessed be. And amen.